The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 13. The word of God speaks to us. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're definitely in new rhythms, right? It's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it's one of those things where we experience a newness, a newness of summer. We're in this summery, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but I, what I want us to do is be a people who have a bigger concept of what's going on. And one of the ways that we get to glimpse that, one of the ways, is when we have people from other congregations here. And so we've had Will here with us, and we're thankful for that. Will serves at our South congregation. He's one of our elders of our church. And so even on a Sunday that is like memorial, and different people are in and out, and what's going on, all the different rhythms that we feel, the trips. I know a number of you are like leaving from here to go on all of those different things, let's just stop and say thank you for what God gets to do in our lives. What God gets to do in bringing someone from another congregation that we're not just one congregation doing this, but we're five. What God gets to do in summer in rhythms that are slower. I know in my own life it's easy to, to think of summer as like, oh, I'm just going to sit out, hang out, and, and I can get lazy. My prayer for our church is that over this summertime, my prayer for my community group and my prayer for our church as a whole is that even in our new rhythms of summer and the different pace that it is, God would do a real work in us. That he would do something. It's also a point that we need to just kind of put a pin on the calendar and recognize that this next Sunday, this next Sunday is actually really important. It marks three years that we've been open as a church, which is so shocking because in so many ways it's like super fast and super slow all at the same time. I can't believe it has been three years. It's actually uh, the fourth isn't the day, the seventh is the day. So we packed this party in which uh, you get a picture in it. We're going to go roller skating, and all of you on our three-year anniversary, we're going to have a party at the roller skating rink, and Derek set me up because uh, you're going to be really disappointed that I can't roller skate at all. You're going to be really disappointed, and I want that to serve as an example for you that there are going to be other spots where I disappoint you as well. I don't mean to, but I'm a flawed, limping human being. 
who can no longer shoot the duck, right? Uh, so we're going to have the time of it, and I hope that you'll come, whether you can skate or not, that you can come, and we can, we can practice what we're trying to be, our people who care deeply about one another, and God's forming us, knitting us together in different ways. Hey, we've got the next couple weeks, we've got two weeks of sermons that are, are kind of uh, go together, they're a pair, and we want to see them as this. We, this week we're going to pull aside, think of it as a, a scenic turnout on your road trip into summer, uh, uh, this scenic turnout in which we're going to be in 1 Kings, and if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to, to jump to 1 Kings chapter 18 with us. If we have Bibles back there if you need one, and we'd love to put one in your hand. I would buy you one this week if you need one. And so we, we're going to dive into this, but it's actually two parts, because next week we'll come back to back into 1 Corinthians, where we're asking this deep question of, like, uh, are the miracles that are discussed in the Bible still present today? Have they, have, have we, have they stopped? Have, have they, are they things that we should be expecting? What are we supposed to see? And I think the Bible gives us a really good answer to that. This week, on this turnout, I want us to do something even more formative and more fundamental, which is like, what does it even mean when we're talking about the miraculous? And I think that'll help us to answer the question next week if we have a better framework on what it looks like to understand the miraculous today. And so that's what we want to do. There's a, a famous quote that goes around, and it gets attributed to like hundreds of different people. It seems like everyone under the sun at some point or another has been, has been given and attributed this quote. And so I'm not even going to try to tell you who it is and just say most of human history has given, given this quote. So here is what it is, but it helps us understand it. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. And catch that, we're not just human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. And let that, let that help kind of tether you to the line that we're going to walk today. Because this morning, I hope to stir your faith in God by addressing those, these questions. Like, what is miraculous? What, what is miraculous in, in, in just as a foundational piece? And we're going to look at that through one of the wildest stories in all of Scripture. It is, is just such a buckwild story about the prophet Elijah and a challenge on a mountaintop and a desperation in his own life. We want to see what God does in and through it. Prophet Elijah has been called the grandest and most romantic character Israel has ever produced. He's also a human being living in a spiritual world, experiencing the ups and downs of life. And so I, I know that's my story. I know that's your story. And I want to pray uh, for our time together that God would meet us. Lord, we, we need you. We need your work in our lives. We don't need another uh, service. We don't need another religious sit-up-straight moment. We need the spirit of the living God to work in our hearts this morning. And we ask, God, that you would move us past whatever baggage we're, we brought in today, whatever distractions that we've got in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We pray that you'd move us past our devices. We pray that you would move us past our vices. We pray that you would move us past our hesitations and our fears and our anxieties and our, our, our just insecurities to meet with the living God today. 
that you would stir us, that you would convict us, and that you would lead us to life today, God. I need this as much as anyone in this room, and I ask, God, that you would, you would work and that you would move. Pray these things for your glory and our good. Amen. Well, let's just start here, and I'm just going to kind of lay my cards out. Here, here's a foundational point for us. We have, have, present tense, perfect in, in eternal. We have a wonder-working God. We see that on every page of Scripture. We have that clearly. And the story that we're picking up today is like thick in the middle of this, right? This is a large narrative that goes through every page of Scripture. And obviously I'm picking it up right here in a part of it that you may or may not be familiar with. But if you say, God started this story and he starts putting it together, we're, we're obviously a good ways into it. We're in a point in which Israel has been brought to freedom and they have found themselves wandering and, and now are worshiping anything and everything. There are kings that have come because, right, we, they wanted kings and they have a king and right now they have a king named Ahab and Ahab is a monster. Ahab is a mess and, and he's causing all sorts of problems and the people are, are worshiping all sorts of different things and it's just a really horrible moment in the story of Israel and it seems as if all hope is lost and yet God is raising up prophets and God is raising up a remnant of people to speak the truth and hold up to it. But they're the remnant and, and the masses are worshiping everything and anything. And so what we have is a challenge that has been thrown, thrown down. And that's the story where we pick it up. It is where you feel like, hey, this is all falling apart. And yet God is still present. God is still active. He's still working. And he is still wondrous. And so I want you to read with me at 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll pick it up in verse 20. And we'll just kind of work our way through this story. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Now this isn't the prophets of like of the living God. This is the prophets of Baal, of Asherah. This is those worshiping other gods and other idols. This is all of them. And, and listen, there's like nearly a thousand up there. There's a, a, all sorts of prophets up there in this moment. He calls them, verse 21, and Elijah came, came near to all the people. And he said, how long will you go limping before two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Catch that, they didn't even answer. They're hedging their bets, right? They're like, well, we're gonna kind of wait and see. We're gonna go with whatever happens here. And the, the challenge is we'll see who, we'll, we'll set up altars. You set up your altar to Baal and we'll set up, I'll set up this altar to the living God and we will see who moves and who meets us. We're at this monumental moment in the big story. You can kind of feel it, right? You can feel like, hey, this is a moment and Elijah's putting all his chips in the table and saying, God's gonna act in this or uh, we're in trouble 
right here in this moment. And I love it because we get a glimpse into the humanity. It's not necessarily the holiness, it's the humanity because Elijah is like taunting them. Elijah leans into it. And hear what he says in verse 27. The, the, the prophets of Baal have set up the altar. They've gone around and now they're praying. They're beating themselves. They're, they're whipping themselves. They're pleading with their God to start a fire in this. They're pleading to Baal to come and do this moment. And guess what? Nothing's happening. And so in verse 27, you have this glimpse. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. Here's what he says. Saying, cry aloud for he is a God. And either he's musing or he's relieving himself. That's some all-time trash talk right there. Or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. Like, my heart goes out for Elijah right here. I, I, I love this guy. He's standing before a thousand of them who are, are all pleading, are all doing it, and they're all saying, this God. And Elijah is just back and forth taunting them. Here is this moment. And, of course, nothing happens because it's an idol, But that leads to a moment where it's time for him to step to his altar. And here's what the word of God says in verse 33. And he put the word, I'm sorry, he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and he laid it on the wood. And then he says, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Are you catching this? It's like we need fire and now dump all the water on it. And he said, verse 34, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. I want you to feel this story a little bit because I, I, either Elijah is completely crazy or he knows something that we so often forget. He knows that he has a wonder-working God where water is no problem. He knows the story of God uh, stopping the raging river of the Jordan. He knows the story of God standing up the ocean. The sea, he knows that water is no problem for God. And if God is going to work, it doesn't matter how much water he dumps on it. He knows that our God is a wonder-working God. And so the next verses are critical for us because here's what he says in verse 35. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, in Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Now hear this. Here's why it's so important. Like, Elijah's not asking for a magic trick. Elijah, Elijah is asking that God would show himself to be the true and living God. 
And he starts with this spot of like, Lord, you are Lord and I am servant. But then he goes directly to the covenant, to the promises of God. He goes to Abraham and Isaac. He goes right to the heart of this. He goes right here into this story and he says, God, do this for your glory. Do this for your name. Do this that they may know who you are. This isn't about Elijah's name. This is about the name of the living God. And all this catches. Here's what happens next. In verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, all the people who were silent a second ago, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Friends, this is our God. This is our God. Here's what happens, though. I feel that all of us feel this tension. We live in this tension and we say, like, why do we not see miracles like this today? Like, like, it seems like the Bible is chock full of things like this. And like, where are they today? And, and I, would, I would give you an answer to that. I would say that we have less and more miracles than we think. Less and more. And let me unpack that for just a second. Because the Bible has so many stories that are like this, but they're not every story. There are miraculous, like spectacular stories. And this is one of them in which is truly spectacular. This is shocking and amazing. There are those moments. There is a leprosy quite literally like falls off of a person. Go show yourself to them. This outcast that is not there, not allowed to be touched, not anything. You have story upon story. The, the dead are raised. Lazarus come forth. But not every person who had died was raised. And the Bible has so many of these stories, but it is not the normative. It is actually the extraordinary, and it is the spectacular. And we want to say, God, do the spectacular. But I would say there are less of the spectacular throughout every page, and yet there are more miraculous events than we even give credit for. Because we discount the miraculous ways in which God works through still and quiet moments in people and through people. And that's really important for us. If we're moving forward and we're going to say, does God still work today in miraculous ways? We better have a pretty good understanding on how he works in miraculous ways. So let me give you an example. You have in John 6, people are being fed and Jesus is multiplying bread and feeding thousands of people with bread. He's feeding people left and right with bread and people are lined up of like, give me that good But Jesus isn't here just to, to perform magic tricks. He isn't here. And we recognize and we acknowledge that this is a miraculous moment while we ignore the, the peace bringer, the hope bringer, the life changer, the one who rescues, the one who redeems. And we just chalk that up as like, oh, that's nothing. That's just normal stuff. We have 
We have spectacular moments that happen. And yet we have miraculous moments that we don't even give credit to left and right. And so I want to point back to Elijah to help us understand. And I want to point back to the conclusion of this story to help us see what is actually happening here. How can, how can we get this? This very story helps us understand it because in the next chapter, chapter 19, just 11 verses past where we ended, just a few verses, and there's a span of time here, but, but not that much. In just a few verses, chapter 19, verse 4, he says, But he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Hey, I'm going to pause right here because in our first service, I talked to two people afterwards who said they felt that very thing this week. Two different people who had been thinking about ending their life this week. I don't know what you're bringing in today, but I know like we're not always on the mountaintop, are we? And here's Elijah who just had a highlight reel moment, who's now on a broom, under a broom tree saying, I just want to die. He's saying, it's not enough now, O oh Lord. It's, it's enough now, O oh Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he laid down and he slept under a broom tree. And this is a moment that Almost no one points to as a miraculous moment in Elijah's life, but I want to highlight it as a moment that we don't want to miss. We don't want to miss. I would argue and plead with you that it's just as wondrous, it's just as God-filled, it's just as miraculous as bringing fire. It's, it's god that met him on the mountaintop, who's now meeting him in the valley. In his worst moments. And so how do we make sense of it? How do we make sense of, of like what's going on in this? I would say that Elijah has lost his perspective. He's lost perspective on who this God is and what this God is doing. He's forgotten about Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, and he's forgotten about this covenant, and he's forgotten that he is Lord and that Elijah is servant, and he's forgotten these things, and he's lost these perspectives. And yet, notice what happens, because we too have a perspective problem. In verse 5, this is what it says, And behold, while under a tree, while wishing to die, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Now catch the story. Like an angel of the Lord shows up in his life and actually prepares a meal for him. And he's like, great, I'm going back to wallow and to feel my pain. And that's not the end of the story, though. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. You see, God knows. God knows. 
it's too great for you. And he rose and he ate and he went in the strength of the food that God provided 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And I just want to emphasize this. It's God showing up in a quiet moment of desperation. And that's miraculous. Elijah understood this, just the smallest part of God's plan. He thinks, I'm the only one left. I've done all this stuff and it doesn't amount to anything. And the end of the story is actually God saying, I've actually been raising up all these other people that you're not even aware of. You don't even know. Don't even know. You see, it's our, our miscalculation of the miraculous work of God that leads us to such uh, similar perspective problems. We think we're the only ones, or we think that our circumstances are that. We think that it's us, like, oh God, I have no hope left. While God is not challenged by a flood of water, and he's not challenged by all the obstacles that are in your He's not challenged by those. He's not overwhelmed by it. And even in his anxiety, even in his depression, even when he sits up and sees the angel and eats the food and then rolls back over and goes back to sleep, God doesn't give up on him. God doesn't move away. In fact, the angel of the Lord moves to him more again. Supplies every need he has and is miraculously at work. So you see, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience once in a while. We're spiritual beings having human experiences. And it's when I get so in my head, it's when I get so spiritual thinking that I'm like, oh yeah, God's grace is just another thing. Or I think I can tame Jesus and kind of like manage the spirit of God. And I've got the plan understood and unfolded. And I'm orchestrating all these events in my life in which I lose perspective on what God is capable of and what he can and is doing. We start thinking that Jesus is responding to our work. And we start missing the point that God is so much bigger than we give him credit for. He's so much wilder. He's so much greater. He's so much holier. He's so much more miraculous because he's not only the one who's able to move mountains, but he's the one who moves molecules, and he is the one who works in ways that are spectacular and visible, and he works in ways that we don't even recognize and we don't even see. And both are miraculous. They're miraculous. And so let me give you an example of this. You, you have this chapter. It, later on in the book, we go to Hebrews. And we're, you, we go to Hebrews. And Hebrews is such a good letter for us to read. It's such a good book for us to read, especially as we're reading the Old Testament. Just, just keep Hebrews open and read it alongside right there with it. And, and you'll get this. But I'm going to go to Hebrews a number of times here in the next few moments. And I want to read this for you because oftentimes we read about someone like Elijah. And we think, Elijah's a hero. I'm not anything like Elijah Except we see right here, uh, I actually can relate to Elijah in some ways. 
We have Hebrews 11, which is often called like the hall of fame of Christians. This is the hall of faith. This is like the, the big list of people. And it is, it is that, but it's not just that. Here in Hebrews 11, it says, and what more shall I say? Verse 32, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, time would fail me, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I want you to catch this. Like That is what all of us would stop and say. Yeah, that qualifies. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. That qualifies. Stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, hear this, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Objectively spectacular and amazing. But the list doesn't stop there. Others suffered. They suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat. Destitute afflicted and mistreated, and if we just put a pin in it right here, we'd say, I, I, I would guess not one of them said, this is how I saw my life going. This is, this is how I saw my life going. Notice the miraculous words that come next. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts, in mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. God doing a miraculous work. Here's why I keep going back to Hebrews. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep kind of digging into Hebrews as we end. Hebrews tells us in chapter 13, it says that this Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the same God. He's the same God. Hebrews is this letter that unpacks for the Israelites, for the Hebrew people, that he is the fulfillment of all of your longings. He's the one that Abraham was pointing to. He's the one that David was pointing to. He's the one that Elijah is pointing to. He's the better Moses. He is the better sacrifice. He is it. Jesus is everything. And we need this to recognize that we're not here trying to follow after Elijah's example. We have a better Elijah. 
We have Jesus. The very first words of Hebrews, the very first words of chapter 1, verse 1, says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, if that is not miraculous to you, the story has grown cold in your heart. And here's one of the important reasons that we gather. Here's why we say, man, I need, I need, all of us need to be in the word every day. And not just reading for mileage, not to check it off a list that I would tell people like, oh, I've done this. I did it. I, I wrapped my, my Bible reading today. No, we read it. If we come together. We read the scripture all the time. We sing scripture. We pray scripture. Again, it's a, a retelling. It's a reminder to our hearts that this God is a wonder-working God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's wondrous in the spectacular moments of, uh, of mountaintop experiences, and he's wondrous when we're in the cave or under a broom tree saying, God, I want this to stop right now. He's wondrous if you find yourself in a prison sawn in two, and he's wondrous in ways if it's not going according to plan right now because his plan is perfect. His plan is perfect, and it is miraculous. You see, we read this story to tune our hearts. We read this story to understand that God is bigger than even we give him credit for, and every page of it speaks to him. Later on, there's a prophet named Malachi, and Malachi will say, Elijah is coming before the day of the Lord. Before the end comes, Elijah is coming back. They're even pointing to Elijah. You get to the Gospels, and John the Baptist shows up. John the Baptist, prophet, here speaking, preparing the way for Jesus. And people say, are you Elijah? He says, no, I'm not. You get Jesus on the mountaintop with his disciples, and who shows up but Moses and Elijah? It's this wild moment in which Peter, Peter, like, I identify with in all the bad ways of Peter I identify with. And Peter's running around saying, like, we got to get some tents up here. This thing's a party. And yet Elijah shows up to prepare a way for Jesus. See, Elijah says on, the Mount, on Mount Carmel, he says, hey, choose this day who you're going to follow. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. He says, follow me. It's in our near total misunderstanding uh, of the fact that this is a spirit-filled world in which God is soaking and drenching every aspect of this that we, we misunderstand his work. 
And we recognize sometimes, we've seen God, even in Yukon, in the three years that we've gathered together, we've seen earth-shaking moments. We've seen earth-shaking moments in which God rescues, brings back from the dead, brings healing and hope, sets the captive free. We've seen these. And we've also seen God move in the quiet, trembling moments of fear and anxiety. They're all just as miraculous. We've seen over this, just this past weekend, God moving the body of Christ to come and nurture one another. To meet him in moments of brokenness and fear, meeting needs and in surprising with grace. I sat with a guy after the first service who said, Everything that Elijah was feeling under that tree is what I feel today. And I had no idea that God would meet me here in this moment. It's miraculous. And so we end with the text that we read in the very beginning of all this. Elijah running. He runs to a cave and he's running in despair and he thinks like he's the only one. And yet God shows up in the cave to him. In the cave. Maybe you're thinking like, I've run away so many times. I've run so far that God couldn't pull me back. Uh, Listen, God is not far from you. What we have is God tells Elijah to stand and to stand before the Lord. And he tears through the mountains. It literally says he tore through the mountains with wind, and yet he wasn't in that. And he, he tears through the mountains with an earthquake, and then he, he sends fire. And this is what the word of God says. First Kings chapter 19, verse 12, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice came a voice to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Yeah, If Jesus were to show up in your life the way he showed up at the woman at the well, and he does this again and again in people's lives, if Jesus were to show up in your life tonight, if you were to show up at your your door and you were to sit there and you were to unpack the real condition of your heart, Like, I I know this. I I know you went to church this morning, but I also know all the areas of unfaithfulness, the dark parts, the the hidden motives and the things that you just don't want anyone else to see. Like, if you were to sit there before you, how do you think that would feel? And I know my first answer to that, I was sitting on a plane thinking of this, and my first answer to that was like, I think I'd feel a lot of shame. I think I'd feel a lot of guilt, and I think I'd feel uh, just like, oh, oh, man, I wish I'd done this before and stuff. And, and then I was quickly overwhelmed with the reality. And again, Hebrews helps us with this. I, I think what you would experience if you actually met with the living God is that you'd feel his grace opened up to you. He says, I know everything. I know all of it that you're carrying and I'm still here for you. And we chalk that up as just, ah, that's just another thing. Friends, that is miraculous. 
Hebrews tells us. It tells us in chapter 4. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Will you bow your heads with me?